Welcome to part two of the Drew Tucker conversation. Um, I got a lot of great feedback on part one. Thanks a lot for listening and supporting. Um, you know, in this day and age where we're getting, you know, quite a quite a few more percussion podcasts popping up. Um, I just wanted to point out that I think there is room for everybody. And these conversations, I think, need to be had. And I feel like we are getting to a good place in which conversations are going to be happening as well as the initiation for change in how we do things. Uh, whether it be academically, through media, um, I think that's what this is all about and what it should be about. So I think it's great. I think it's awesome. So without further ado, here is part two with Drew Tucker on the Rudimental Podcast. first people asking you for comp tickets and free CDs. I don't play for other musicians in my motivation, not even a single bit. I don't play one note for any other musicians other than the ones that are on my bandstand with me. And that's usually because we have some sort of inside joke about the note I'm playing, you know, or whatever the case may be. Like, right. But other than that, man, like I, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate because in college, that's usually what you have to do. Like all of your performing is for other musicians. Your juries are for other musicians. Your, your recitals are from other musicians a lot of times. And all, you know, one o'clock band, your one o'clock uh, chamber uh, studio classes for other musicians so you're used to this idea of hey man what did you think and getting this feedback well i liked it man but you know when you played measure you know letter b i felt like you could have done it quicker like who cares mm. you know i play for people i play for people who and i play i do my best to play with emotions and connect with people on a level and be sincere so i play music i love i don't care if it's easier or harder i play music that i that resonates with me that um and because of that people can connect with it because they feel that emotion. They feel the, the love or the pain, the joy, the sorrow, the loss, the striving for something, that whatever the case may be, you can connect there. That's why people buy tickets. They do not, they do not buy tickets to hear you play your scales. They right. don't care. They do not or, care. Or like, I think the worst questions are like, um, you know, it's funny. Instagram has turned into nothing but prolific drum set players posting an, an amazing video and having a bunch of people being like, what symbol is that? Huh. What? <laughs> that isn't... What? Do you recommend tuning your snare drum this way? And, That's funny. And you're like, dude, you're totally missing the point, man. You're missing the point. I think Carter McLean is one of the best drum set players in this world, and his comments are nothing but people being like, 
what kind of what what ride symbol do you use? And every time he answers them, and he has the most patience in the world at this point because it's been going on for like four or five years, and it's it's just the point being missed, especially when you have musicians, like you said, musicians listening to musicians or being being somebody like Snarky Puppy or uh, uh, you know a band so, well, like that. Snarky Puppy kind of. They're kind of an anomaly. They're an outlier. Like I like they're they rare they they sit in rarefied air in that they appeal to me. They they that's one of their things. Like um, music for your head and your butt. You know what I mean? Like to move yeah. your butt and also you can think about it and you can listen to it. <laughs> yeah. But not a lot of people can pull that off. And some people who do, I would argue, um, sound contrived. Like it's like, hey, we're grooving. Hey, hey, let's throw in like this five four bar just to know people know we know what five four is. Okay. Right. Cool. You know, and they throw in this little five four bar, yeah. and that's different. Snarky Puppy seems to Mike League and his collaborators, and he just found like this like lightning bolt of these Texas UNT dudes who just kind of just came together. Um, all these cats just kind of came together. But 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 to my to your point though, and this is your original question is like just kind of r- pushing forward in this. Um, I've never, so I didn't finish school. I got depressed at art school after a year and a half. And I was like, I need to go back and do what, you know, play. And so I said, I'm not going back to school. Um, what I did not realize at the time was I had a mental illness. Also, mm. I had undiagnosed adult ADD. I don't diagnose ADD period. Um, but it wasn't usually when you think of ADD, you think of it like, you know, hyperactive, can't sit and can't focus on things mine manifested in a different way it manifests a lot of ways but i had an, i have an anxiety starting new tasks so so do i right so if if i need to write see this score up right now that's because i need to write when we're done so before we got up i had to write the score i had to put that score up because otherwise i'll look at it and be like oh, i can't find my hard drive eh, my hard drive's in my bag uh, you know what i'm just gonna deal with it tomorrow i'm not mm. gonna deal with it so it's, it's not a big issue anymore because now I take medication for it. But before the case was, and I do other things to make sure I counteract it, but I've gotten into the habit of making sure that I set up for things. Like if I get home from a show, I have to set up right away. I can't set up tomorrow. I can't set up later. The thing will stay in the corner. My vibraphone will stay in the corner and it will never get set up until I have no other choice yeah. or I get motivated to do so. So I set it up so that when I see it, like my sticks are all right here. They're all sitting underneath here. So when I, I'm ready to play, I can just go ahead and, and play but yeah but that really hurt in when it came to applying for colleges and it came to you know all the paperwork and the anxiety and getting started and the level of crippling anxiety that i would feel to have to go ahead and do that and as a result you know i would jump to schools and do this kind of thing and there was a it's a mixture of that and also a mixture of the fact that just traditional schooling was not for me like academic uh, socratic learning was not for me i didn't if I wasn't motivated by something, and this is still true today, if I wasn't motivated, I don't want to say motivated because, but if I didn't love something, it was hard for me to do it. Um, so the fact that colleges wanted me to take all these core classes were like, no, <laughs> I'm not Simply going to do it. Put, no. Yeah. So I never ended up getting a degree. So that led to two things. Um, number one, it led to, uh, me always feeling like my work had to be really good. It led to me, no, it led to, and for me, I'll also say that I never had the traditional upbringing. My dad came over here um, from Jamaica. Um, My mother and my father came from Jamaica through Canada. 
They, um, my dad chased my mother. They got married. He had a third grade education when he came over here. He started a landscape company and created a life for us that I can be nothing but grateful for. Um, that's incredible. Yeah. We weren't, we weren't wealthy, but like, I didn't, I didn't, I never missed a meal. You know what I mean? I wasn't, I never knew if we had, you know, um, and we traveled and we did all sorts of really cool stuff. And I have three brothers and a sister and we just, you know, they're, they're great. They do well. And, um, no, but none of us, I mean, a lot of the, maybe at this point now, there's some degrees and some things, but for the most part, they've all done really well for themselves without, because that's the culture we came up with. Like no one had degrees, but they kept learning. Like there was always, my mother was taking classes at Harvard for what she was trying to do. My father was always looking at other things and studying things and always talking to me about these books he was reading and these things he was learning about the, about different types of trees and how he just loved them. So into this whole landscaping situation, you know, my brother um, is in finance and he, you know, passes series six and series seven. And now he, you know, is a head of a major um, wealth investment firm and, you know, all this stuff without degrees. Yeah. Right. So for me, not having a degree never felt like it was like, well, this is what you have to do, son. We didn't have this heritage. My brother went to UM. I, I don't know that he graduated. He's a lot older than me, but I think he says he did. Um, <laughs> but God bless him. Whatever. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of university action. My other brother went to Nova University down in Florida. But I mean, for the most part, like I, I've never seen, it's never been ingrained in me that this is what you have to do to be able to be successful. Like what I've seen is always like people just made it. They just figured it out. Yeah. So for me, it was never an idea. I was like, all right, well, let's just get to work, you know? And so I just got to work. And I wish I would have realized that earlier that school wasn't for me um, because I would have made different choices or, or, oh man. This is a whole nother podcast. Um, <laughs> I'll come back to that. But the bottom line is that if I would have, somebody would have helped me to think about my life and then helped me reverse engineer it, I would have seen the value in school for what I wanted it to be, for what it could have led me to do and how it could have helped me as opposed to this idea. Like you go talk to a senior in school. The first question people ask, hey, we're going to college. Have you thought about college? Have you thought about college? As though college is the end game. Like, where are you going to go to college is everything. They don't think past that. They don't think like, what kind of life do I want to create? What's important to me? Hmm. You know, do I want to do this or do I want to do that? Like, do I want to be creative with my time? Do I want to be structured? Do I want to be this? They just think, okay, uh, I don't know. I like the football team in Alabama. Nick Saban is really cool. I'm going to go over there. And uh, music program's nice. I'm going to go there, you know, and I'll be a band director. And that's it. So they want that question to go away. Well, um, the, back to what you were saying, though, the argument could be made that, I'm a firm believer everything happens for a reason. So the argument, could, you said you wanted to go, if you could go back, you would change it. Is that what you're saying? Mm -mm. No. Okay. No, I'm saying that I'm hoping to be able to have better conversation with kids now. Okay. I see. Like I wish my, my daughter, for example, she's 16. So talented. So amazing. So good at school. She should go to college. She's good yeah. at school. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I'm not against school, but I don't want her thinking that school is the choice that's going to make or break her life. Right. Like I want to know what we talk about what kind of life you want to create. What's your perfect day look like 15 years from now? You know, like what 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 ratio of that? What are you doing with that day? How how does it look? What does it feel like when you wake up? What are your relationships like? What what kind of, you know, are you are you creative? Are you not creative? Are you going to a job or is the job paying you? Or are you paying other people? Like what kind of life do you want to live? And then we reverse engineer it. And then if she's unsure cuz she knows she wants to do arts, music, education, whatever, fine let's get let's get you to a local school and we'll figure out well you're not gonna i'm not gonna we're not gonna pay for you to go to 
Stanford, even if you get in when you don't know what you want to do, it's fine you don't know, but we're going to stay local, go right here, you're going to live right here. Mm. We're going to get the scholarship at the school that doesn't have good music, and you're going to take all those core classes you got to take. And then as and you then learn and grow, and yeah. you say, you know what, I really want to go here. Or just get your undergrad here and then figure out we want to go for your master's and go yeah. somewhere fun. I, you know? I think my situation um, was I was about to not go to school until because uh, I was not a good student in high school. We are very similar in the fact that I did not learn very well in a um, traditional classroom setting. And plus, I didn't care about anything else but drums, dude. I mean, like, I was thinking about nothing but drums in all those classes I was sitting in. And I think I think one thing, too, is that um, I was so close to not going to school that who would have, like, who knows what have happened kind of thing. Sure. And I I came across this, you know, my my best friend from high school, we ended up going to college together at McNeese, and he was like, there's this little school called McNeese State University. They're offering scholarships for band and music, and, you should, and you should go. And being decent at the marching band thing at the time and, and have, being comfortable in that, and then doing the video audition thing, I was like, okay, great, but I'm not good at school. I'm a little intimidated by this. And it took me a couple of semesters to figure it out. It's a long story short, but I think I needed that structure. And I think uh, it, I ended up getting a master's degree, which not even my family expected and nor myself until it was a reality. And so it's just one of those things of like, I needed, I needed that structure because I didn't have a ton of it uh, within myself as far as like work ethic and organization. But, but I think that's great. I like, it's funny when I have this conversation, some people are just like, oh, you're anti-school. No, I'm not anti-school at all. Yeah. If I was good at it, I would have done it. Like, if, you no, know, but that's what I'm saying is what, right. what I'm saying is I, I, I understand why people don't go. But here's my problem, though. My problem is the fact that kids like you, when you were a kid or myself, don't, there's no outlet for us. There's nobody saying yeah. to us, hey, it's OK that you're not good at school. What about this? Like if I would have gone to that guidance council and they would have looked at me and said, listen, man, you're getting like a CB average. You seem to be really smart, you know, but you seem to be really focused on the music. What about if you took some, here's an idea, I'm throwing this out there. What if you took like an internship at a record label or, and I'm thinking about somebody who may not know the music industry that well as a guidance counselor, and, and maybe just went and took some core classes, you know, just one class, take a business class at the local community college, do an internship. And I'd have been like, wow, that's really interesting. Mm. That's a thing I could do that. Oh yeah, you could do that. Like, let me look up some internships for you tomorrow and I'm gonna bring some back and we'll talk in a week or whatever. And they hear some internships or here's some ways that you can take some, could you take lessons in your thing and then be really good at that, but just take classes about money. You know, understand how the coin works so that you can be successful no matter what you do. You know, take, take this and understand how to invest or how to save or how to build wealth. You know, personally, I think if you wanna be a musician, you should take lessons and take business wealth management classes. And if you some want my kind honest of opinion some kind of like tax information course or right how do you even how do you even have how can you go into a a, a, a job like music performance that's going to be almost 100 percent 1099 hey, hey and man, uh you have 12 1099s this year Good i luck. know yeah. and not and be told anything in part of your curriculum about how to manage that yeah it's ridiculous yeah and we you know that's the argument i did have or the one problem i did have with uh, of course, I learned I learned all of it through just being my the personality. Interwebs. 
Well, well that <laughs> YouTube University, right? Right. How, how to start podcast. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's that's my personality. There's a lot of people who look at a task like that and they're like, ah, whatever. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna mess with it. And so, what one thing too is, it's like, um, it people are willing to find a path like you did if they're willing to find a path. But you know but and here's the thing. I always knew this is what I wanted. Right. And not everyone does. No, so no. it's not like I, I can't sit here and make a blanket statement like this worked for me. It should work for everybody because I was passionate about this thing. Like it was this. I was going to like take the island or I was going to die taking it. You know what I mean? Like I was going to yeah. we, once we got off the boats, I burned the ships. You know, <laughs> that was yeah. it. Like we take the island or die. Yeah. So. So essentially, and again, I wanted to want to get back to your, your actual question so that um <laughs> Yeah, we, I can make sure we trail that, off yeah. on here. It's all good. No, nah, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. But I mean, but the, 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 the crux of the matter is the fact that I was never afraid to ask. And mm-hmm. I never thought it was always a foregone conclusion to me. Like, I don't necessarily believe in like, a lot of the metaphysical stuff, like manifesting this, or if you just believe or you positive think or you do all this kind of stuff. Um, and I've gone to all those classes. I've gone to all the Tony, I've gone to Tony Robbins. I've done, I've watched The Secret. I've watched all those things. Um, I've read Think and Go Rich. Napoleon Hill is a shill and he's a fraud, but whatever. Um, I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've seen all of those types of things. Um, and I've read them. I have a wall of self-help books over there behind the white screen, the vinyl screen that's hanging down. Um, I'm reading, I'm reading this, uh, this one right now. Relentless. I'm not saying there's not good ones. I love reading them. I, I read them all the time. I, I could give you my favorites right now, but I do believe in this one key factor, whatever you focus on grows and whatever you neglect withers. Yeah. And to me, it was like, there are ways, there are possibilities. If I am just, if I just think, if I just focus and if I just stay the course and that's where, this is what I, this is what I truly believe. If you, and this is where I was kind of like, I need a separate podcast for this, but I'll give you this in a pithy way. And I've thought about this a lot. And I've, 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 I had a, I have a really good friend. I have a couple of good friends who are doctors. I've had a couple of band parents who are doctors. But I have a really good friend who's a dentist, and, and I'm always talking to him about what his career path was like, what his it was learning was like. And his father was a dentist, so it kind of handed down the practice. And but overall, if you want to be a medical doctor, you are essentially in school um, until you're about 26 years old, mm-hmm. give or take. Then you're in a residency, and the residency will pay you, but you're undergrad loans have come due and soon your 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 doctor school loans are going to come due mm-hmm. usually you come out of that with about 400 to five hundred thousand dollars in loans that you have to pay back and this comes out to somewhere in the twelve hundred dollar a month range right now you're making forty fifty thousand dollars a year but you're also as an intern you're working or as a resident you're working 60 70 hours a week right, right? you're learning you're still studying you're still trying to figure all this stuff out mm-hmm. um by the time you start making money and, I, and these details may be shady i'm not looking at any reference notes right now but Bottom line is that by the time you start making the money that we equate with or that your parents would equate when you told them you wanted to be a doctor with doctor money, you're usually in your late mid to late 30s. On average, it's like late 30s when you start like making doctor money. Right. right? Um, But during all that time, here's what you have going for you. Number one, you have a very well-worn path. It's a well-worn path that they say you follow this, you be obedient to this path. This is how we've laid it out. No problem in this. If you do well at it and you're not a jerk, you'll end up successful. Mm -hmm. Number two, 
Everybody around you culturally is supportive. Your parents could be a quarter million dollars in debt running up their credit cards to put you through medical school, but they're do it because you're, you know, little Jimmy's going to be a doctor and they'll do it because when somebody asks him at the party, hey, what's your son up to? Well, he's still in medical school, man, just working. He couldn't be here right now, but he's in medical school. Mm-hmm. It's like really cool. Well, interestingly enough, your card just got declined. It doesn't matter. He's in medical school. You know what I mean? Like doesn't make a difference. But for musicians, there's no well-worn path. And as soon as you get out with your undergrad or your master's degree, what, 20 master's degree, 24, right? Yep. Get out with your master's degree at 24, you move back home, you start taking auditions, working about freelance, learning about taxes, trying to get your LLC together, trying to understand the marketing aspect, trying to figure out your direction. By the time you're 25 and a half, 26, 26, 27, your parents are like, when are you gonna get a real job? You know, when they're, when their parent, when their, some their friends come up to them and say, hey, what's your son doing? What's your daughter doing? You're like, well, I'm still trying to find himself. He's just living at home. I don't know what he's doing. And I have the, and I have reason, I have ways to counteract that. And it's, it's, you know, there's ways that you can counteract that, but that's not the point. The point is that I truly believe that if a musician and artist didn't focus on their twenties and realize that just like a medical doctor or just like a lawyer or any of those jobs that bring in that big money, that your 20s are about skill acquisition and relationship building. Because that's really what your residency is about. Your residency is about going out and proving your work to people. People seeing you saying, that kid's going to be good. That 20, that guy in the residency, I want him in our staff. I want this person. Hey, I don't have, I can't hire this guy, but I'm going to call my friend over at the hospital up the street and I'm going to let them know that you're really dope. You know, and then someone else seeing you be like, hey, I'm starting a practice. I really want you to be a partner. I really want you to come work at my practice or whatever the case may be. But that's what your 20s are about. They're about skill acquisition and they're about relationship building. Mm -hmm. They're not about making big money. They're just not. And we make such dumb decisions in our 20s because of the fact that we're like, we have to prove our parents wrong or we have to prove our parents right with their belief in us, one of the two. Either one's negative when it comes to the reason why we need to do things. We need to prove our friends wrong. And then we have the extra added problem of the fact that our friends got out of their master's degree with their business degree, landed themselves some entry-level job, making $35,000, $40,000 a year, feeling fancy, buying themselves a new Honda Civic, a one-bedroom flat, and a $20 bottle of wine. And we're like, "Uh uh-oh, we got to keep up with that. Even if we don't say it, we think, well, next time we're at the 10-year reunion or next time we're out with them, we're like, crap, they're going to order the wine. Yeah, I'll get the wine too. Sure, I'll throw in on that wine. I mean, really, you should not be. You shouldn't be out. You should be home practicing, right? But no one gets mad at the guy in medical school when he doesn't want to go out and hang because you know you got MCATs the next day. Or you know, or, or, well, that's before medical school. But no one gets mad at the guy in medical school because he's got all this homework and he's got, you know, whatever, clinicals the next day or whatever the case may be. So when you're a musician and you graduate. It's a social stigma. Right. So you're like, oh, I got to practice. Practice? Dude, practice next week, bro. We're going out tonight. Let's go. Yeah. We're going to the club, whatever. And you're like, uh, all right, yeah. You know, and you end up having to posture for your 20s. And that's for everybody. I mean, listen, my 10-year reunion was way different than my 20-year reunion. 10-year right. reunion, everyone's like, well, you know, I'm working on this and I'm building this. 20-year reunion is like, yeah, I filed for bankruptcy, uh, two divorces, three kids, yes. <laughs> you know, whatever the case was. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people need to hear what you're saying because – uh, it depending on personality type because a I'm one of those people who needs to hear that because um, we're talking about skill acquisition. School is just the beginning of yeah. your st- of your studies. Absolutely, and, and usually the the worst. Almost sometimes you got to unlearn that stuff. Yeah, and and I was in a situation where I was given a great foundation in both technique and musicality, which I'm very thankful for. But the key word is foundation, right? Like you're only given a start. 
Yeah. And now I'm taking personal practice, whether it be with, uh, like right now it's congas and bongos, and it's a lot of Latin percussion. What I'm doing is I'm taking all the skills that I learned there and applying it to the, this feels like the real practice. Like yeah. I, I get I get that like there's not enough as much time as school, but there's also a matured efficiency within my practice that sure. I never oh, would have nice. gained. I like the way you said that. Thank you. I, I've never would have gained that if I didn't have those experiences. So with that being said though, um, there's always that temptation of somebody with my background taking a job that is um in Texas, for instance, you can make up to seventy thousand dollars a year pretty quickly teaching yeah. marching band. Sure. Um, it is very, it's a very time consuming job. A lot of people leave the profession. It's not for everybody. It stresses a lot of people out, makes them unhealthy and create unhealthy habits. Um, but at the end of the day, that number is very tempting because it's like, Oh yeah, I know how to do this. I would be good at it. Uh, but it is, you know, it's 12 to 14 hour days and I can't really do my passion projects and my other projects. So uh, maybe uh, I'll just do it and see. And then, you end up getting stuck for however long, I assume, and 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 not taking those risks you were talking about earlier in our conversation. Um, and yeah, then, and that and that's the thing, and that's the thing. And if you have a, a structure where you can take all the risks in your twenties and you can learn, like people always say, there's always the joke, like, "Oh, I never play for exposure." I agree. I don't play for the wrong kind of exposure. Mm-hmm. I still, to this day, will play for the right kind of exposure. And what's that right kind of exposure? Here, here's an example. Um, okay, Ground Up Festival, um, which is a festival that pretty much Snarky Puppies record label puts on. Miami, right? Yeah, it's in Miami. So I'm you know, about an hour away from my house, 45 minutes from my house, um, hour with traffic. Um, really, yeah. And um, I just brought down Sean. I was, I was on my, uh, anyway, bottom line, I just played with Sean and he was on the way to Ground Up Fest. And Sean Martin? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, this was before we toured together, but I just played with him and he was on the way down to Ground Up Fest and he does this late night go-go party. And so I'm like, he's like, yeah, you can come play with me. He's like, yeah, I don't know, man, maybe I'll get you. I don't know, maybe, I don't think there was money. There wasn't money involved, let's just say that. And I'm playing vibraphone and no one thinks of a vibraphone. So I'm like, I'm gonna, I wanna play my vibraphone. And I got the, you know, and he's, I essentially played for free. Who did I play for exposure for? Larnell Lewis, right, um, yeah. Mark Letiri, um, you know, and these guys were on stage with us and we, we hung hard that weekend. Like these guys are still my boys from that weekend. Like we still have inside jokes from that weekend. You know what I mean? So Larnell, it, Larnell just a side note, Larnell is my, one of my biggest inspirations. Like he is just so, and the sweetest guy on the that's, planet. But that's, but that's what I was period. getting at is that yeah. you can tell from a person their for lack of a better term, energy, that, that word is a little bit overused right now. It's great though. It works. It works. It, it, their energy, their, their, um, just overall vibe about them is what I see even through YouTube videos about him. Yep. Like, he just seems so gracious. And he and is. Humble. Yeah. And exactly. he is. There is nothing about him that says I could outplay everybody in this room. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. There's only something about him that says I want to share everything I have with you and this audience. Which is why he does the drumio stuff and all that, and mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah. And so, and so, I mean, you know, and so I'm down with, you know, and that was me at 36, 35. You know what I mean? So it's like, but I knew that, like, I wanted to share this instrument. I wanted to play this instrument with people at that level. I wanted to. Play. It wasn't about like, oh, I'm going to play for free. Let me get money. 
Um, I knew that I wanted to play and share with these people. I wasn't even thinking to myself, like, I'm going to sit in with Snarky Puppy or I'm going to sit in with this. Or, I'm going to do this. Or, I'm going to do whatever. I was just like, I just want to share with these people. Like, I want to yeah. be there in this situation and share. And because of that kind of mode, and then I asked Sean after, but I had already got help the guy get, or I, I was booking at these, I was the city cultural arts director for the spot. I'd already booked Sean on this. I was on the board of directors at the School of the Arts. I booked Sean on their fundraiser thing and we were hanging out. And in all of that hangout, I call it participating in my own rescue. You know, I was like, man, I love this guy's everything about him. Um, and I said, hey, man, what do, what do you think about Torin Duo? And I, I you know, I was like, yeah, cool, man, that sounds cool. And at the time, he never heard me play, which I always think is interesting, too, because in college, you're almost taught like this quality of playing is everything. It's yeah. everything. But I've never gotten a gig just based on my quality of playing. No. Ever. Well, I'm sure you've heard everybody talks about this now. The gig triangle, right? No, the, I've never heard it. If you have two out of three of the triangle, so the triangle makes up is made up of good hang, good music, good money. And if you have two okay. out of three, it's a good gig. So oh, interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I've never heard it put that way, but I guess that's true. You know, yeah. but so I mean, so, and so I booked the shows. You know, I booked. We had a tour in Texas. We had a, a tour in Florida. We did one leg and we did another leg. Mm. But that was me booking it. That was me. And then I mean you. Once you get the opportunity, you better know how to play, right? <laughs> but, you know, to actually get the opportunity, it hasn't been because I've been like, can I audition for you, sir? You know, it's never been the case. It's always been a connection based. Excuse me, sir. Yeah. And it's always really been the hang. It's always really been the like, okay, this guy can put stuff together. Yeah, this guy's legit because he's already, I've already seen him add value. So when it comes to like, how do you get on those areas? I've always focused. And this is really the point. I've always focused on how can I add value to other people in mm. every situation, right? So um, if I can't add value to you and if I don't believe it, I'm trying to be really honest with myself. Take Snarky Puppy. I've hung out with Ghost Note. Me and Sput are buddies. Um, I was after PASIC, I went and hung out with him and I saw JD, um, JD Beck, like when he was 15, like playing and hanging out with Sput and he was telling me what's up. Um, you know, Nate Worth, you know, Mark Letiri, like we talk about his kids. Like we don't talk about music. We talk about what's it like being a father of a daughter and how's it been going. But I'm not going to play with Snarky Puppy because I really don't think that I have. If they saw something and they said, hey, man, I got this vibe park and you can play with it. Sure, I'm down. But it's not something where I can see my value being I can really bring value to this thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Like I can. And I'm. I'm I don't think vibes could bring value to this thing. Do I think that Joel Ross could walk in there and kill it and Joe Locke and, and do I think I could solo and have fun and we could have a great time and I think it would be great? Sure. I think I could sit in one day if they had space on stage. Um, but I don't really think like it's a thing. Like I, I'll hang out with them. You'll never see me ask and be like, hey man, let's put some vibes on the Starkey Puppy thing. Mm. That's not true. I probably asked just for craps and giggles. But because <laughs> you never know. You ask and they say yes. But I mean, it's not something where I really feel like I could add value. And if I, so I do everything I can to add value. I don't care if it's a, if it's a kid. I don't care if it's a student. I don't care if it's, uh, you know, it, I, if I can't add value to the situation, I don't want to be in the situation. What about, what I, what about to yourself? Um, well, I mean, it's mutual though. It always comes back. I've never had it not come back. Mm. You know, I've never had it not come back ever. Yeah. And because of that, like when I'm in a bind or if I had a bad year or if I had a bad situation, you know, it's, there's grace on both sides. There's, Hey man, this guy's cool. Like this guy, it's never not come back around in some way. Yeah, I get mine. Like I got my contracts on lock. I have a, I have a lawyer on retainer. Like, I mean, I get what I need. Um, but I look at a situation 
and I charge what I'm worth, but I only do it if I know I can add value again, right? right? So it's like, hey, you want me to play this? Yeah, man, but you know what? Honestly, like, like I play drum set just fine, but someone hits me up and they, you know, it's like, hey, man, like (laughs) Snarky hit me up and then we need you to be the second drum set player. I'm like, nah, I'm just not that guy. You know, like I can't add value to the situation, but I will help you find somebody because I know people and I'll call them up for you right now. Right. Don't just wait and I'll get them for you. There's so many different layers to this business and, and, and multiple facets. Um, I've, I've noticed that in the marching community. That's where I've been most involved professionally. I've noticed it in the industry where I've just been dipping my toe in. And for somebody who is in his first endorsement like myself uh, at, at a level in which, you know, you you still feel like you got to prove yourself, um, you know, and you're with a, you're with a great company. It's like um, these first are very, they're a very uh, valuable learning experience for myself. Now I, I can only imagine that the facets, the, the multiple facets in which there's um, levels to to gigs like to that community of like i you know you you hear names like sput and larnell and jt uh uh or jd beck and or uh, i honestly jt uh tom the one of the drummers for snarky puppy as well he's from dallas i think um the you hear all these names yeah all texas and you you hear these names and you're like you know at the end of the day you're right it's not really it doesn't all really boiled down to playing i think playing is the mutual mutually exclusive right i mean at the end of the day i think those guys really do play for the music um look people of that level and and i think everything else needs to work around it to come with it i I was talking i actually went and saw them play live in dallas two two or three years ago and i was talking to uh von henry after he was filling in on keys oh, that's my boy from miami yeah 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 he, we play i mean way back <laughs> we, actually we, he said he has jamaican heritage as well yeah we we go we go back that's he talked about that um i guess go back would be a misnomer but like we're in the same community he's a uh, he he's incredible he was just talking to us and like um you know talking about his kind of like upbringing and stuff like that and uh you know, playing in church and all in learning every learning all these charts by by ear, and then you sure. you, you hear uh you hear Larnell's story on his one of his Dromeo videos of him learning the we we like it here album in seven on a seven and a half hour flight from Toronto to to uh, overseas, and you're like, I think the music part is the easy part for these guys. You know, I think the facets that come along with it they need help with no matter who it is, you know, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. And I I think that this is a a key thing is that I've never, um, I think this may be more to your point, more to answer the initial question that you had. Mm -hmm. Um, I I am troubling. I'm struggling to remember what my original question was. Well, no, it was just, how do you get to that point where you're, you know, you kind of, and people don't talk about that bridging the gap between, um, and that's always what my clinic is called, like bridging the gap, mm-hmm. but bridging the gap between like, okay, I'm playing this local stuff. How do you get from that to playing the national shows or playing the bigger stuff or getting the agent or playing with the snarky puppy or meeting these guys or doing whatever. Um, I, I never, I'm sorry, I was, a, I'll never forget. I did actually, I was with Sean and we were doing a clinic at UNT 
and we're at UNT and the jazz program's there, the percussion program's there, it's packed. And you know, that's percussion Mecca. That was probably the, that was probably the most intimidating show I'd ever done. Cause I hadn't been back there in a minute. And yeah, we're doing a show and somebody asked me, they say, Hey man, what do you do? Like, you know, what do you think about the state of the music industry? And like, are people calling you? And like, you know, what do you think about gigs? And I was like, um, I thought about it. I said, well, what instrument do you play, man? He's like, I play bass. And I'm like, if you're playing bass and the phone ain't ringing, you might just need to get back to the practice room, my guy, because I always need a bass player. I said, I play vibraphone. I can't really relate. The phone doesn't ring for me at all. I don't care how good I play. I could play this thing like an absolute master. Phone's yeah. not ringing for me. You know, I think I've been called to play the vibraphone to someone say, hey, man, I need you to do what you do. Maybe in my life, maybe ish somewhere mm. in this. My, I can count them on my fingers. That's for sure. Mm. I've always been the one calling. I've always been the one writing the checks. I've always been the one making the opportunity for others. And as a, as a, as a, as a matter of, so the first, and so here's the thing that people don't like to hear. I was playing all the restaurants in Florida. I was playing all the, like the places in my area and all the gigs and all the bars. And I said, you know what? I'm sick of it. I want to play concerts. I want to have people pay tickets and sit and be there not to have conversation with other people, but be there to watch me. So what I did was um, I rented out a facility. And I rented it and I made a deal with them. I walked in and I said, all right, I want to have a concert here. It's a beautiful theater. Um, can we do a partnership? Like we'll take 50%, you take 50, I take 50. And um, you put it on your schedule and your marketing. Please do not say it's rented. I don't want to be heard of as a rented thing. I want to be like, I'm on your schedule, but I will pay and we'll work out whatever structure the deal was. Mm -hmm. And, but then, and this is the hard part, um, I stopped playing for for free. And when I say for free, I mean, I wasn't getting paid. I mean, I stopped playing in places where people could see me without paying right. to see me. Yeah. Um, or like private gigs, I would still play. Um, but I stopped playing for free. So that people so for a year, so I booked this show a year and a half out and I stopped playing for a year and a half. So all that little $100 here, $200 there 150 here, whatever here I was making, plus, you know, I nope, no more. So that I could build some scarcity. So that when I came out with a ticketed show that people would be like, I figured it would take a year for people to wonder where the heck I was. And then another six months for me to actually market that I was actually playing a ticketed show in town. Yeah. And so for a year, I didn't play anything. I played on stages. So if there was like a festival, I played that where like I was elevated. There was a big sound guy, whatever the case was. People had to pay to get in or there was like some sort of way that I was elevated. I played private parties. I played weddings. I took more gigs with wedding bands. I had took a part time job. I did whatever I had to do while I practiced and made content. And then um, when that came up and people would all of a sudden be like, hey, when are you playing this place again? Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. And then I was like, boom, here's what I'm playing. 40 bucks a ticket. I think it was like 25, 35 and 45, depending on where you wanted to sit. I oversold the heck out of that place. Yeah. And then now it was a different ball game. Now I was in different air. Like now I didn't play anything less than certain situations. Like obviously if I tour, you go, you play whatever your agent puts you on, you know, if I'm in Alabama, no one knows me. It's another ball game, you know? Hmm. So it might be a different situation but in terms of local so in terms of me playing local where i was from i never played a show that didn't have some sort of ticketed event or some sort of festival or some sort of thing like that um and uh and but that's what people don't want to hear people don't want to hear the fact that i stopped playing for a year and a half and i rented yeah. my own facility and took the risk just to kind of get to that next level where i was selling out shows and then you take that show, you take all that footage, and I took all the money I made, and I hired a videography crew, I hired an audio crew, I hired, I had photographers there, and I used all of that to then springboard me and market me for the next show. 
And then from that point, they saw the success and they're like, sure, we'll book you. And I said, well, now you're going to book me. You're not going to book me like that. Same thing I did when I was 15 years old. I'll play for you for free, but you got to give me a hundred bucks for the next four months. Yeah. But now I did it on a much larger scale at 32 years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so the real career for me as what I consider like the, the pie chart as me and Ivan like to talk about it, like, you know, as freelancer, we have this pie chart this much with composing, this much with performing, this much with teasing, teaching, like the real career for me now is, has started probably when I was like 34 years old, 33 years old. Man, you know and people, I mean? people hate hearing that. But it's truth. And, and you know what I relate to is stand-up comedians. Stand-up comedians will often go 12, 15 years of living out of their car, driving to their shows across the country and but actually doing similar to what you did is like i'm going to invest in myself 50 grand and do this entire entire production put my stand up special on youtube for free and get my name out there and then and that in itself the return on that would be would be a um a if you stay focused if yeah. you stay focused I, I am convinced that if someone treated their music career the way a, med a medical student treats their do a doctor treats their treated their medical career that and they stay a good person that there is almost and you say that focused the way a medical student says focused that there's almost no shot that you aren't successful. Hey, you've probably noticed there's a new logo, a new rudimental podcast logo. Yes, there is new aspects of the podcast and things getting better would not be possible without your support of listening and through a support link in the description below for just 99 cents a month. Yes, for just a dollar a month, you can support the podcast directly. It goes to things like a new logo, like video graphics, like audio equipment, video equipment. You get the gist of it. If you're interested, click that link in the description below. It's just a dollar a month, like I said before. Also, if you could subscribe, rate, and review on any platform you're listening on, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever, it is greatly appreciated. Back to the episode. And by successful, I mean paying your bills with your art, you know, saving some money, doing the things you want to do. I'm not saying rich. Rich could happen. I mean, mm. I think if you're super focused, rich, rich will happen because mm. you'll make those choices. Not because you'll manifest it through some sort of divine universal destiny, but because as you make those choices, it's like, I want a Toyota FJ, but they're so overpriced. But all I see now is Toyota FJs. <laughs> Last made That's in 2014, they still I, sell I for like know. 45 grand. Stupid. I, yeah. All I see now is Toyota FJs on the road. And I didn't see them before because of your reticulatory memory. So yeah. once you start focusing on like, this is what I want to do, the opportunities start coming. You know, the, the things start coming in. I've added a lot of video um, to to my portfolio because that was my quarantine hobby. Now turned, I do it professionally. Yeah. Like I'm a, I love editing and shooting video, you know? So I'm, I'm starting to get there with, with audio because of I, this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I dig it so much. But the bottom line is like, the bottom line is that, um, you know, that, that, that level of focus has to kind of be there. And then if you do that I, and, and to think of your career, not as like, okay, I got to land the job, which is what school will have you think, but my life is a pie chart and I have hanging over there, the pie chart as it currently exists, how much percentage is made composing or arranging, how much percentage is made performing, how much percentage is made teaching and the pie chart, my ideal pie chart, um, right next to it. And my mm. goal is always to look at it and be like, okay, I, I need to spend more energy here so that I can grow this area of things more. And ultimately my goal is to have all of my, to have residual income 
pay my bills, mm. which isn't, which means that I can go, I, can, I don't have to, you know, I could sit here and do nothing, but because I'm either getting royalties or I'm getting, you know, other people or te- whatever the case may be, whatever that residual income is coming from, you know, YouTube Royal, whatever the, you know, wherever all the things are coming from. And that's what I'm being trying to be creative on now is like, okay, I've done the work. How can I do the work and then let the money continue to come in? Let it's not going to be album sales. For you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it could be writing. It could be arranging. It could be working for others. It could be hiring other people. I, I used to own a music school. That was my first foray into like in 2007, uh, 2011, 2006 to 2011. I had a music school and like, a you know, private lesson academy, like a school of rock type of thing, but way better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, and I used to, um, and so teachers would teach for me, but it still was really laborious. So like the way to scale that, you know, how, what's the way to scale that? Okay. Well, what if I do, if I do speaking, if I create courses, so I'm worried, I'm working on more of the things that'll bring me in more residuals. So it's okay. If I do this, I create courses that brings me in 5% of my bills. If I create okay, this album brings me in 2% bills every month in residuals this um this thing over here brings me in another 10 percent of my you know so to get that pie chart to where it's like residual income is bringing in xyz but i never think of my career as like i need this job right yeah. my career is a pie chart that is my career um yeah and, and some some people, days listen you go ahead sorry well i'm just saying that's the hard way right and it's definitely, is it? i mean it's easy for me i love it i get out of bed excited no 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 what i'm saying is like uh Maybe it's not the hard way. Maybe that's the wrong way. I'm saying people look at a steady salary and they see security, right? Because it is a little scary, right, to to look at, to, to like, I don't know how to put it. I, no, I get it. My wife, because yeah. my wife is, my wife thinks that way. And so, and, and, and I love her for it because she has a very steady salary and she, and that's great. And it's coming, you know, coming very big handy, but I've thrived during this quarantine because I've never thought of anything I've done as permanent. I've never put all my eggs in a basket. So it's like, okay, boom, this is what's happening. How can I take this? I was already on all this audio action and all this video streaming. I was already teaching lessons online. I was, I was ready to hit the ground running. You know what I mean? So it was like, okay, cool. How can I pivot this to make this into something that, how can I take this weakness and make it into a strength? You know, how can I take the fact that I'm no longer doing this and I have this free time and start to help people to appreciate something that I'm already good at? How can mm. I share something with people that people can find enough value in that they want to give me money for it? Mm. You know, and so it's never been a thought in my head that, oh, no, there's a situation that I'm out of control of and someone may fire me or I may get laid off or I may do this. I've never thought that way in my entire I've never written a resume, my guy. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's like. I think I have one on an app somewhere that I had to do for like a blue man group audition one time. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, but I mean, but so I've never, t- I'm not tall enough for blue man group. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've never thought that way. So when stuff like this happens, it's like, okay, cool. I mean, not cool, but like 60% of my income is now trashed. How can I pivot? How could I don't have to replace hundred percent. I'm still teaching lessons. You know, I can offer some lessons here. I can do this. Hey, why don't I, um, I'll make some video replies. I'll put out this type of thing. And I'll, and that's when I start to really think, because that's always the way I thought, all right, I'm up against the wall, you know, let's it's fight or flight. Let's go ahead and do it. Whereas somebody with a career is like, I got fired. I don't know what to do. Who's hiring. What do I do? Where do I go? Is unemployment? Won't the government give me something? Where am I? How am I going to get this? And I'm not saying everyone thinks that way, but I, I've never waited around for somebody and 
fact of the matter is, the truth of the matter is that had I been taught about money and really understood what to do with money when I got it, I would be, I'm, and I'm in a fine situation now, but I would have been in like, I'd be like, you know, cause I made a lot of money, mm. but I didn't know what to do with it when I got it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't think like, I would. I mean, to be honest with I mean, you. I mean, it's not like millions and millions of dollars, but I've made a, I've made a, you know, a decent amount of money, especially I've, made, I've had great tours. I've had great things. I've had cool offers. I've had big contracts. I've done, even when you think about marching band, man, like, you know, I was teaching like four or five marching bands going to drum. There was a lot of money involved. Mm -hmm. And I was living in a situation where I didn't have to worry about much. I should have been putting that money away. I should have been investing it. I should have made sure my insurance was right. I should have made sure. But instead, I was a dumb kid who didn't know what to do with it and never got taught. I only got taught how to play the instrument. Right. So I made stupid decisions. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, will realize, even at my age, we'll realize that, yeah, we made a decent amount of money. We just didn't know what to do with that money when we got it. Mm -hmm. And as a result, put ourselves back in the situation because it's not part of our culture and our training to have a good relationship with finances. Yeah. You know, uh, and it's not sexy, you know. There's also an unhealthy side of it, too, on on the other side of the spectrum when it comes to being too frugal, too tight with it. Sure. Um, and which I think I err on the side of caution with that side of it. Um, getting oh, I did not. <laughs> well, I mean, well, here's the thing, though. I mean, like, I don't get me wrong. I like some finer things in life. I do have a small, small Jordan collection. Um, All right, and I, I have a, uh, you know, I like, I like some nice stuff, but, um, that anxiety of being in a situation where I was the broke musician always scared me. Um, but that's good though. I, it better yeah. to err on that side than work hard and, and save. I had a buddy, man, Greg Satterthwaite. We used to go to the gig and he'd pack his own dinner. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah. why are you packing your own dinner? He's like, well, because this dinner's not free here. But I'm like, yeah, but it's half off. And they're like, it's not free here. It's not free. I have food at home. That's so yeah. why I pack my own. So he'd be sitting there with his Tupperware eating his food in the middle of in set breaks. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is for real. Yeah. You know, he was he bought a house and did his thing way before I did. You know, I just bought my first house recently. Yeah. So it's it's um it's it's I'd I'd err on the side of where you're at than we're on the side of where I was. And I also had older brothers who were already making good money. So I think subconsciously I was trying to keep up with the Joneses and my family. Right. So I would make choices so that they could, you know, see that I was making it. But yeah. But again, the same thing, see that I'm making it, you know, so I have to, it's always about other people. So recently I'm just like, yeah, I don't care. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, doesn't... There's a, there was a certain, um, I think this is more recent in the past couple of years. There was a certain um, F everybody mindset I got into uh, when it came to people not, who are not in this field, who don't understand it understand the, the pursuit of the passion. Um, another one of F everybody, I don't care what people think about my playing anymore. I'm just going to keep working on me kind of thing. Um, and so that, that can be dangerous as well because, because then you're, I guess, subconsciously um, pushing people away, which is what you don't want. And, and at, at the same time, you, develop this like fake chip on your shoulder as if like people are out to get you. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, facts. You and, got a lot of maturity for your age, man. You, well, you, you, thank you. Yeah. I, 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 I don't you're know. Thoughtful. I, you're thoughtful. And not a lot of people at 25 are that thoughtful. Well, that's why I can't fall asleep at night, but you know, it's, one of, well, it's, it's one of those things of, I, I think if, if there was some way that 
I could balance everything. Maybe it'll get me to where I want to go. However, um, this this whole idea of of hard work and 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 not really an idea, the act of hard work, the um, the networking, everything like that. I feel like a lot of people don't understand it's just as much part of the gig as anything like more you hear you hear the part of the gig term a lot like load in load in loading out having a giant setup that's part of the gig me playing in this this wedding band with this giant pop perk setup is part of the gig and so but then if you have that that relatively fake chip on your shoulder and then you look at athletes like i i take a lot of inspiration from athletes but same a lot of athletes like rest in peace kobe bryant I took so much inspiration from that guy and um, taking inspiration from, you know, Michael Jordan and everything and combining all these aspects of these, of, of, of greatness. And part of the reason why I'm reading this book by Tim Grover is because he trained Michael Jordan and Kobe and Dwayne Wade to get that Mamba mentality. Exactly. Correct. And, um, but then you got like the, you got some athletes like I got a chip on my shoulder, man. I didn't, you know, it's like, right but you didn't you didn't do anything that or nothing's been done to you to have that right. chip on your shoulder like it's just there it's just been there yeah and so i I'm, I'm trying to be careful with that you know you don't want to you don't want to take the fun out of it well you know? i mean a lot of it has to do with like you know simon sinek i don't know if you you, you you've read his stuff but he talks about finding your why which yeah. is something that i i've always i've always believed in but when it comes to the reasons why i play this instrument or why I play. I mean, to me, I'm, here, here's a couple realities. Number one, I'm never going to be the best vibraphone player. Even if I was in a situation where I could practice all the time, there's always someone better than me. Right. So it's a pointless endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my situation, <clears throat> I'm actually very far from being the best vibraphone player. Like I can, I can, I can throw a rock and find a couple good guys, people I know and love and respect. Warren Wolf is a ridiculous dude. A perfect pitch. And he's been playing since he was three years old and comes from a, a, a family of musicians. I mean, and just a ridiculous Joe Locke, amazing. Mm-hmm. Stefan is like my big brother and my mentor. And I listen to him every time we talk. It's like I come out feeling better, even when even when I'm the one who's given like, you know, I, I help him with his. Well, we're talking about anyway. But bottom line is like even when I'm <laughs> sharing things with him about things that he may not be particularly like social media things and things like this, I still feel like he gave me something. But just like his playing and I listen to it and I'm just like. This is so sincere and so authentic. And I just, I want to get to that, more to that place. Like, that's always what I'm trying to get to. And, you know, Joel Ross, man, that guy, that cat will have people losing sleep. He's so good and he's so young. But, you know, and, but that's fine. You know, yeah. Nathan Skinner. Nathan Skinner's a kid I used yeah, to, you know, yeah. help out. You know, we, we still chill. And just the guy's just ripping. And now with the mouth station, the way he's owned it and made it. But I am so, Honestly, I am so stoked for these people. Mm. Like I'm so hyped. And so I look at how can I continue to help this community? And so I use like all of my connections to help these guys get connections and get on so that the vibraphone itself can be good. I mean, can be can be more propped up so that the kids who come up behind us have more of a chance of being successful and making a career out of it than I did. And that's really the whole, it's not a xylophone thing. It wasn't like a contrived thing. It's like, how can people help people you know, who's going to hire somebody to play this thing if they don't even know the name of it, you know? Right. 
Um, I wanted to get to that, which is it was a perfect segue. So, but 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 at the end of the day, like I love being a dad. I absolutely love being a dad. I love being a family man, a husband. I love cooking dinner for my kids. I love hanging out and playing ball with my kids. And I know people who practice six hours a day and I'm never going to be that dude. I mean, I think never, I do it sometimes, you know, I'll get, I've never done six hours a day, but I mean, I, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to practice within the bounds of taking care of the things that are super important to me, which is being there and present for my children. You know what I mean? So I'm okay with that. I'm okay with them being a better version of me. I'm okay with so-and-so being able to play circles and scales around me or whatever. Um, that's the first part of it. So I've already accepted that and I've embraced it because I get no better satisfaction than being a father to my children. There's mm-hmm. nothing I would give. I would throw this thing out the window if I had to make a trade-off. Um, that being said, I also do everything I can to just be me behind this instrument, to not try to play the game. Oh, what's Joel doing? Like, I'm not saying I don't steal some licks. I mean, I've been hearing some stuff. I'm like, oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. I'll put that in. You know what I'm saying? I'll put that in. I'm going to add that no to my shame. vocab. Yeah. I'm all about it. But I'm not trying to be him. I'm not trying to play his gigs. I could play that song. I, he played that song. I liked it. I'm gonna play that song. I play songs that I love. I just I just did a little arrangement of Black Hole Sun. I'm not super happy with it. It was a little long and self indulgent, but whatever. <laughs> I did a thing of Black Hole. You know, I did an arrangement of um, my album. My last album has like Tears for Fears on it and Prince and all these music that I love. And every time I play it, I'm so happy to play it. And when I play with people that I love and I play music that I love people are going to love to see me because they're coming to see Drew. They're not coming to see vibraphone player guy. You know, they're coming to see Drew play and be Drew and communicate and share what Drew has to share and put on right. Drew's show. And honestly, and the boys should taught me this, no one can be a better you than you. Yeah. And so the more you lean into your authenticity, the more you lean into truth, and reconcile and reconciliation with that with, with what that truth means your deficiencies your flaws your beauties your your graces all of those things the more you can lean into that and the more authentic you can be and the less apologetic you can be about it the more you'll sell tickets and the less you'll even care what anybody else is doing it doesn't matter that somebody else is playing this because they're playing this over there like that's them playing this yeah if they came into my world here here's two kids here's a mortgage Here's a situation. Go ahead and let me see how good you can do now. Right. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. my world. Like you don't understand my world and, and raise kids that are decent human beings and uh, they couldn't hang. Just like I'm not trying to hang in their world. Right. You know, and, and that's fine. Like if I try, it's like it's like the old guy trying to keep up with the young guy, you know, at the club and trying to play, you know, trying to run and, you know, okay, how many gigs are you playing? Or, you know, oh man, we're going to the next club now. We got to drink. Oh, I can't drink. I can't drink like these guys anymore. I'm 40 years old. Yeah. And that's the same tape type of idea, only musically. Like I, I embrace the fact that a 22 year old has made the choices that music is everything. They're not going to get bogged down right now with kids and do this and whatever the case, or a 23 year old and this is the kind of life. What can I do with the, the, how can I share my resources with this kid to make sure that this kid is is in the best position for success based on what I have? Mm-hmm. I think that way all the time. And do I worry if like they say thank you to me? Eh, maybe sometimes part of me, but honestly, I don't care, man, because it's not part of my why. And I really believe in my why. And there's been plenty of times, one time in specific, I was playing a gig in Gainesville, Jacksonville Jazz Fest. And Andrea Benet popped over there with her husband. She was sitting like right down there. She's done. Yeah. Uh, she's, oh God, just one of the most beautiful players. This her hands, her technique, her just yeah. she, her understanding of it. Like she's just, she exemplifies 
independent grip. I don't use the word Stephen grip, but anyway, um, independent grip. Thank and, you. um, <laughs> and so she, 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 she's over there. And I remember just like, just started, I started thinking, oh my God, I'm using too much pedal. Ah, oh, just crappy notes. I just can't feel this tempo. And my bandmates, you know, they love me and I love them. And they were like, they knew my sax player knew that I was failing and just started. I heard him in the back noodling, which is usually the sign of like, I'm here, I'm ready to go. Yeah. And so I just ended, he come in. But I have this picture of my children that I keep in my head that I that I hold. And I felt myself going into scarcity mode, which is like, I'm not enough. I can't be enough. I'm playing too many wrong notes. Somebody's going to think negative things. And I have to like literally sit there and just like get back to the place of like, this is why you do it. This is why it's about. This is what it's about. This is what you do and why you do it. And then get back to that place of just spread joy share joy mm-hmm. you know or sadness or whatever the emotion is but share it and then i was playing fine the rest of the night but there's always those moments when somebody walks in the door and i'm like yeah, yeah. i don't know how to play this instrument anymore yeah yeah um but honestly Absolutely. man i just don't care what musicians think of me that's a good <laughs> you know, mindset to have I just, because i'm I getting care. there i don't get there if you yeah. can get the earlier you can get there the more successful and happy you're going to be man yeah man i mean just trying to find a balance and you know it seems like the world is getting a little bit back to where it needs to be but um yeah you know at this first of all thanks so much for coming on i really yeah, appreciate your time i know it's getting late over there where you're at but uh uh there uh i think i think one thing is that people can take what you've said and a lot of it could be its own podcast, to be honest with you. And um, maybe we'll do a, a second second part of this. But at the at the end of the day, like the being you thing is so crucial to anything. Like I think we often lose ourselves um, in a lot of different ways. And I know I have several times. And priorities have shifted and, and whatever. But um, being you is is sometimes tough for people and i i hope they find a oh, way i think to it's be always them. tough for people yeah it's tough for me still yeah easier now i'm just you know the, the best you can hope for is that the amount of time between when you try to be something for someone else from that moment until you bring yourself back to level and be authentic the, the shorter you can get that gap is really the goal. I don't, I don't think it ever goes away totally. Yeah, no. I agree. Yeah, I, I see it. Definitely. The, um, well, I mean, uh, as far as uh, anything that's happening in the fu- near future for you, is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything? Yeah, um, I'm part of a really cool camp, Summer Percussion. It's called the Summer Percussion Workshop. Yeah. Um, I'm on it with a lot of really cool people. Um, uh, Ralph Nader, uh, Sarah Thar, um, Paige Durr, uh, Derek Shannon, um, who else is on there? Hubert Payne, drummer for Little Big Town. Yeah. Am I missing anybody? Um, Alana Weising, um, Tucson Symphony Orchestra, University of Arizona, um, timpani player. I'm excited about that. That's something fresh. Um, I, I have my Mallet Lab camp coming up. Yep. Um, that's really cool. Uh, my daughter is, I'm playing my first live gig in a year on Friday. So that's wow. really cool. And I'm playing with a piano player. My first gig in Atlanta ever since I moved here, because I moved here and I had a bunch of tours and marching band and stuff and then COVID hit. Um, 
And then, um, so this is my first gig here. It's at a stage in a, a place called the High Museum. And um, I, a cool young piano player, he's like 23, something like that. I'm playing mm -hmm. with 24. Yeah. Um, so I'm stoked about that. And uh, my daughter is sitting in with me, my 16 wow. year old. And she's, you know, I'm like gigs where I was with my band and I was at my, in, in my hometown, like she would come and play some vibes. Um, and she would be pretty cool, but it was more like a, oh, his daughter. But this time she's literally coming up as like, I put her on the flyer. She's singing. She's going to sing her song. She's going to sing gigging, her song. Yeah. Come up. She's, she's literally sitting in with me. So it's like her first kind of professional um, thing for me. Um, oh, that's awesome. So, but she's got nerves of steel. Like she's got ice water in her veins. Yeah. She'll be nervous all until the moment she gets up there. I can make mistakes. And this has happened plenty of times. Like, I've made mistakes and she's just been like, like she she does she does not crack on yeah like she she'll be oh my god i'm so nervous what do i do what do i say and then she'll walk up here and just be like just hit it and she'll Dang. just she's ice man she's Dang, so cool. maybe i need a podcast with her jeez she's pretty dope yeah she's pretty dope that's um, um well that's incredible i'm sure there's gonna be a lot of like proud dad moments in that too you know yeah i mean she performed at PASIC. i performed at PASIC with her which is pretty cool okay cool yeah, yeah her yeah. she performed at the middle school she performed the um Cisernay vibe concerto the first movement super dope in seventh grade and i we split it so she performed the melody i did all the improv stuff and then she we do have the melody on the way out man that's awesome um yeah that was still my favorite moment so i'm, I'm just i'm you know my little one loves to play yeah the, these are the things that bring me the most joy i like playing oh, i'm excited to play um, I got those camps. I'm at UNT's camp. Um, I don't know if it's UNT. I think Mark Ford is doing his own type of thing. Okay. Um, you know, but it's 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 a tough world out there, man. It, it's here. Here's the thing. You know, we talk about building and, and creating things. You know, but nowadays in this climate, it's hard. It's almost like who wants to build things when God forbid you you, you book the wrong person, when God forbid you book the wrong person, and um, someone comes down on you because you didn't book the certain demographic of person. You know, I and it's yeah. like, you know, so who, who, who really wants to, you know, go through all the trouble of building something just to have it torn down because, you know, and it's upsetting because as someone who's built a lot of institutions, when you take risk, you take risks with your friends. And if you're from the middle of no, you know, if you're a, if you're a white guy from the middle of Illinois and all your friends are white dudes, that's who you're going to start with because they're willing to take the risk with you. Yeah. You know, you just don't know any black people <laughs> and it's just, or you don't know any, you know, people of color of this or that yeah. and you want to take the risk with people who know you and who trust you and they're your people and you can trust them you know and they and that's who you take the risk with and it's and does that mean that it's always right is that no but it's like we've lost this empathy for for people you know everyone's sitting here bucking up and down against lee stevens because and i'm i got you know me and lee have no love lost for each other um i respect the man for what he's done and i think he respects me too but i actually know he does but it's, um, you know, I ain't trying to stick up for him or go to bat right, for him right. at my own expense. But at the same time, it's like, the guy's been running his camp for 30 years and he's never hired African-American people. Or even I'm not saying never, I don't know, but is rare. So all of a sudden now we're all like trying to gain social capital by being like, cancel malattack. Social you know, capital is an you know? interesting term. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's hard to see who's sincere or not about this stuff because the social capital attached to it. You're the you know someone's like I'm denouncing my I'm I'm leaving Malatex roster of artists and I'm like, but you signed up for it and there was mm -hmm. nothing but white people on there when you signed up. Yeah, because that got you social capital then, right? Yeah. But now that's old. You ain't got no news. So now it's like I'm leaving because there's no black people teaching at this summer camp, and it's like. 
but that's the way it's always been. I'm not saying it's right, right? So now what you have is this level of tokenism that's never been had before. It's where you're like, all right, get the, who's out there? Let's get, get this person, grab that person. You know, who can we get on? Okay, well, are they good? Okay, fine, bring them on, whatever, yeah. you know? And it, you haven't affected any change. You just shamed someone into checking off a box. I, I so, just hope for for our for our activity's sake for our art's sake that we get back to um can this person contribute positively no it doesn't like them how they look wouldn't wouldn't even be a factor well no no it, it will be a factor but it's a factor because of other reasons it's a factor because if you came up as an African-American in this community, you have certain pain, certain struggles, you listen to certain types of music, you had a certain upbringing, and that you truly believe that having that person there will add to what you are trying to accomplish because they bring a certain rich history to have a woman, to have a black person, to have a, a person of a certain okay. orientation. Yeah. All of this stuff will actually add to what you want to do because you realize that like, you know what? I came up listening to I'm not, you know, whoever, I'm not saying me, but I came up living in the country and I was in a classical cave, but I, I want my students to experience someone who came up from, from a Latin uh, Afro-Cuban background and who plays classical music, but came up from the church or came up from the this or came up from yeah. the that. And that's why I want a person of color, not because I want to check a box, but because I know that they have a rich history that can add and I respect that. And I want my students to learn that. So if they're going to come to my camp, I want them to know that they're going to get all the background. Yeah. That they're going to get a background of pain and struggle from this community and pain and struggle from this. That, and that's what creates great music. You see what I'm saying? The, mm -hmm. the difference is tokenism means that I'm just going to go ahead and check a box. I'm going to make Superman black because that's what the people want. The woke mob on Twitter wants. And I just need the people to shut up. So I'm going to get, I'm going to, and, and this person doesn't play well enough. So we're going to let them teach something on um, mallet making or career or something mm. because we don't trust them, but they're black. So good. They're going to check that box. Yeah. You know, well, now I've been shamed and I don't want to be shamed. So, all right, who's the, who's the popular person of color, right? Okay. This guy's everywhere. Let's get him. Cause I know he's good and he'll be fine and we'll bring him on when um, there's so much rift depth. Right. So it's not uh, about, it's not about like. You can't say it's not about ignoring it or just going on pop, you know, on on, a, on, on performance. However, I don't believe in diversity for the, at the expense of excellence, right? So, like, let's check the box, but this person can't play, or let's, you know, like, and I don't think anybody wants that. Like, as a person of color myself, I don't want someone taking me somewhere because of my color of my skin. I want them to know that I can add value, right? Mm -hmm. But. But the problem is when people don't even bother looking, you know, <laughs> like it's just like, uh, whatever. But, you know, you, all you have to do is make a couple of phone calls, wait a little bit, shake a couple of trees, do a little bit of research. And you'll find that there's a plethora of people of all sorts of different backgrounds that can add a, a lot of diversity to, and it will add to your bottom line. It will add to your kids' experience. It'll make kids want to come back because they know when they come to your camp or your thing that they're going to get a holistic experience. And they might say, I came here wanting to play classical. This is why I started Mount Lab, by the way. You know, I, 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 I came up in I came up jazz, marching, classical, all of which I spent a long time in a cave for. And there was no place for me. If I wanted to go to Lee's camp, I was going to learn Lee's stuff. I want to go to Nancy's camp and I love her. I was going to learn Nancy's stuff. But where was I going to learn just to be me better? Right. And explore mm -hmm. things. So I started Mount Lab and brought in all sorts of people from different backgrounds musically. And different backgrounds contextually and culturally 
because I knew that would add and I knew that people would come in and learn, wow, I've never thought about Indian music like that. I've never thought about marching music this way. I've never, I, I came from a classical, I didn't even heard the term clean before. And I'm learning from this guy or I'm learning from this person or I'm learning from this and contemporary vibraphone, Matthew Lau, who, what? This is crazy, I wanna learn from that. And that's why I started Mallet Lab, not because I needed to have a camp that checked all the diversity boxes, but because I wanted to give a rich experience to kids that they couldn't get elsewhere. And when when a guy like, you know, in a position of power like Lee Howard Stevens or when Nancy or whoever decides to make a camp that says, you know what, I want to bring a rich experience. But the problem is that a lot of these guys don't even respect African-American players for what they can bring. Well, how about and the, therein lies the problem? Do, do you think it's a problem that a lot of people don't know the history, the origin of a marimba? Oh, I mean, oh, yeah, but now we know another podcast and I have to eat dinner. But, um, <laughs> okay, but I was about yes, to say, yes, we I can, do. We can dig. So no, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I think it's a problem, but I think it's a problem also that we think that Western classical music is here to save the world. Oh you know what God. I mean? Like, you There's know, that so because of toxicity, uh, Tracy and I talked about, but yeah, but I mean, like, why El Sistema? Oh, look, we bring we bring our classical music to the Venezuelans, and now they're saved. No, help the Venezuelans appreciate their music mm. and their culture. Don't bring your European culture into them and be like, this is what's going to save you. And I'm not saying that's the intention, right? But that's certainly what it feels like. Like classical music will save you. You know, I I'm just like. You know, I had I had a world percussion guy come in and do something for my kids in Georgia who were just like mind blown, never heard of Brazilian carnival and what they do. And I'm like, man, I would just have, I'd skip marching band altogether. I would just put like a bunch of snare drums on slings and some surdos and play marching band. Yeah. You know, like I would, I'd be all about that life. Yeah. Um, but there's not an appreciation. And, it, and man, it goes back. So it, it, this is where you get into the systemic stuff and, you know, you start talking about stuff that's going to take a mountain, you know, you move a mountain an inch at a time, right? You eat an elephant one bite at a time. But mm. at the end of the day, I think that we're, we're in danger of creating a culture where people don't want to try to build and don't want to try to do anything great because, you know, oh no, you didn't meet somebody who has a lot of followers on Twitter's demographic, but, and I'm just, I'm at the moment where I'm trying to decide if I care <laughs> and I want to build something for building sake and I'm cool with being, you know, or if it's not even worth it, and I just need to not put myself through the stress and just like get hired at other people's stuff, which is well, not my I, style. But I, I think we're at a we're at a we're at a period of time where people are often. I think a lot of people like yourself are making decisions on on what they want to do with that, and um, people who have a who have a voice, like celebrities, claim they have a they have a voice for the for those who don't, and and. Uh, a lot of the people who don't have the voice are actually making more sense than the people who do have the voice. And so yeah. it's just like, anyway, you know how we get past this, you know, how we get past this truth yeah. and reconciliation yeah. truth. Everyone needs to be able to say their truth without being judged and be able to accept being educated. Will that happen? I don't think so. At least not anytime soon. But if, if a guy like, if a guy can't say, you know what, I don't know any black people, you know what? I, I don't trust. I grew up, I grew up like this, or I grew up like that. And, and this was the conversations I heard in the daytime. And I want to be more like this, you know, but I just don't know how. And right now, here's where I'm at. Um, but if you have something to offer me that can help me, but sitting here and shaming people and we're going to cancel them. And, you know, I heard people were calling other artists on Malatech to encourage them to leave because of this, to start a movement. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to help this guy not feed his kids. 
But there was no level of like, and even like, well, their response wasn't good enough. It should have just been like, sorry, we'll do better and done better. But instead of telling me what you're doing and what you have been doing, why wouldn't you tell that? Because if I call, like, I call, after all the Black Lives Matter, when all the Black Lives Matter, I called Innovate, I called Musser, I called Innovative. By the way, Musser, I didn't even want to join at first because all they had was a bunch of Gary Burton lookalikes and copy-offs. And they were hanging off of Gary Burton. And I would have been like, I'm like, I'm not going to be your, to- your, your diversity key. I'm like, the only way I'll join is if you give an honest look at everybody who I send you, mm. you know, like, and I'm going to send you black people. I'm going to send you Korean women. I'm going to send you all sorts of people. And, you know, if you're not willing to do that, I'm going to go somewhere else. And they said, we'll do it. That's why Joel was on. That's why a lot of Houston cats are on actually um, chase and some other anyway, but, and that's how that really started with innovative. I called them up and I said, listen, talk to me. What's what's more than a black square that's being done right now? Um, and they mm-hmm. said some of they said, but the, but then but then Henry said to me, honestly, there's we we're in Nashville. What what should, can you let's talk? What can we do? And I we're said, here's some things. Yeah, we're in Nashville. <laughs> right. And I said, here's some things. I said, let's talk about it. And I said, you know, let me know. I don't know what I don't know. So tell me what you're trying to do. And let me tell you, you know, hey, how about a scholarship that we can do this? And how about we lean into some HBCUs? And how about we take some of our mallets? Like we have, how many mallets do we have that may not get used that we can just give away? I'm not saying crap stuff. I'm just saying like stuff that may just be on the shelf or whatever that may not get May is not the best stuff, but like a freshman going into the, let's get to all the HBCUs and let's find and give a whole set of mallets to a freshman. You know what I mean? To an incoming freshman who may be on a scholarship and may not be able to afford it. Let's give, let's, let's, I, I would gladly give, you know, um, a year of my clinic payments to create a scholarship fund for whatever else a kid, you know, my $100, $150 clinic type of thing. You know, it doesn't really make a difference. So, so for me, I'm like, there's all sorts of stuff if we be creative, but let's build it. Let's work it now. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. We've had conversations. Same thing with Musser. I'm still having, I just had a conversation with Musser last Friday, Yeah. you know, about what's being done and what we can do and how we can continue to work and what we can continue to do. But that's the thing. Like people don't know what they don't know. If I just say, well, where, what else are you doing? Where I don't see enough black people per capita on your Instagram. It's like, but there's not enough black people that broke, you know, at, at the groups that we sponsor that are in the Midwest because Eric Johnson, who owns it, was at Cavaliers and they were all and they are the guys who were all teaching the other groups who also have white people in them. And that's just kind of what it is, mm. you know, and so you have to continue to educate to help them see the value. You can't just shame them into checking a box. Right, right. And that's, you I know, mean, anyway, yeah, I, I mean, but, we can we could. I don't want to keep you any longer than no, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got well. Uh, on that note, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man. Thank. Of course. It's very, very gracious for your time. This is a great podcast. Um, you can uh, follow Drew on Instagram at it's not a xylophone. You can go to his website it's not a xylophone dot com. Find all his updates, his blog posts, his uh, booking, all all that good stuff. His schedule. I'm looking at it right now. Great website. Um, the uh, needs updating. Ah, well, I mean, uh, I saw that. I saw that article you're talking about. I'm going to read it here in a oh, second. Yeah, cool. Um, but yeah, man, thanks so much again. It's uh, definitely. It's uh, this was really great. The, a lot of this, I think, people need to hear and want to hear, and also I needed to hear some of it too. So that is uh, one of the things why I love doing this podcast. So. Might need to cut it into two parts. We've been on for two and a half hours. Uh, who, uh, I might. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. 
uh, I'll have to talk to my boss, which is me. So I'll. Uh, there it is. You guys consult. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, man. Thanks again, and you can follow me uh, at Hartwell Drums at the Rudimental, Rudimental Pod. Make sure you give that a follow, um, and you can listen to us on all major streaming platforms. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Google Play, all the good stuff. Getting the YouTube going here soon. And uh, we are going to keep improving aspects of the podcast. And your monthly subscription helps very much. And we appreciate it. So, with that being said, shout out Drew Tucker. It's not a Zolophone. That's it for this one. We'll see you next time.